Welcome to the Smarter Trading Podcast. If you want to sharpen your trading skills or become a more savvy investor, then you're in the right place. Every week, we sit down with professional traders who are ready to share practical insights on what it takes to succeed in modern day markets. Smarter Trading, the show to watch to trade smarter. Medeiros is the founder and CEO of The Trade Risk. All opinions expressed by guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Evan or The Trade Risk. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Evan and guests may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Hey everyone, it's Evan here. We ran into some technical difficulties with this recording and that big old microphone you see in front of my face, if you're watching this on YouTube, wasn't actually the mic that was recording. My audio is from a backup device, and so there's a bit of an echo, and it does sound like I'm in a tin can recording this, so I apologize. We tried to clean it up as much we could. Luckily, after the intro, I do very little talking in this episode, and our guest Felix's audio is great, so please enjoy this episode, and we'll be back on track with crisp, clear audio for next week. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Smarter Trading. I'm your host, Evan Medeiros, and today I am joined by Felix Bertram. Felix is the owner of TuringTrader.com and the designer of the site's model portfolios. Felix's background combines a strong technical foundation and a master's degree in electrical engineering with business experience from multiple innovative startups and an MBA. Felix approaches the market or investing is purely technical with a strong focus on diversification and risk management. Felix, welcome to the show. Thanks, Evan. I'm glad to be here. This is exciting. You really are going to do the podcast name justice because Felix really is um, a brilliant trader and, and software engineer. And in fact, you know, usually when I get lost in my sort of coding uh, uh, development grounds and I get stuck on something, Felix is, ultimately gets the email from me saying, hey, I'm trying to do this. Can you help me out? I have no idea why this isn't working. And usually he's, he's there to the rescue. So, um, so I thank you for that. And I think this is going to be an exciting sort of conversation for everyone uh, to, to kind of show off what you do and uh, how you approach investing. So before we talk about all of the current stuff, let's, let's go back in time a little bit. Uh, tell us about your background how did you get started in trading and, and what were you doing before uh, investing in the markets? Yeah, all right. So um, the accent you're hearing is German. So I grew up in Germany and came here about 14 years ago. Um, my background is in engineering. So I have a degree in electrical engineering. And as an individual contributor, I mostly did actually software. So I'm basically writing software since I was uh, 16 years old uh, or actually, I had my first job in writing software when I was 16 years old. And uh, I, I never really stopped tinkering around with, um, with uh, software. As a manager later on in my career, I actually did a lot of consumer electronics in the professional music space. And uh, most of my career was actually in professional music production. And um, this, this whole um, background, that actually helps a lot in, in looking at trading. So when, when you look at um, stock market data, for example, they're actually very similar to audio data. And it really helps to have a little bit of an audio background and know what um, digital signal processing does when, when you're trying to filter out noise and extract the signals that you're actually looking for. So uh, the engineering background really has, uh, has helped me a lot. In encoding the stuff and in understanding uh, what I'm actually doing there, and I I got into trading fairly late. So for a long time, I trusted in other people to help me with investing. And in 2009, um, after the recession, it, it was really clear that uh, this wasn't working. And uh, for once, uh, the professionals I was um, working with weren't really up to the task or up to my expectations. And also when I started looking into available products, then basically I found that the available investment products are surprisingly boring and they're kind of behaving all more or less the same. And I, if you want something that is 
fundamentally different, that behaves fundamentally different uh, from um, from your typical 60-40, has a lower beta and a higher alpha, then there's nothing out there that you can just buy or where you can just go. And that's how I got into this and started um, doing my own stuff. Now, um, you were sort of kind of scratching your own itch, uh, so to speak, when you kind of came into this. But um, when you say that there wasn't anything that you saw that was either uniquely different or you were sort of upset or, or kind of tired of the offerings you had available, um, that assumes, I mean, you had a, you had to have had a good understanding of the landscape. So were you frustrated with sort of the returns your portfolio was getting at the time or the volatility your portfolio was experiencing? Like what was, what, what clicked that said something had to change and I had to take this into my own hands? Well, when you, when you trust um, your typical average um, broker-dealer representative, they are going to uh, recommend you some investments and some funds. And when you look at what your portfolio actually did at the end of the year, most often what you find is that you underperform the market at higher volatility. And, well, this can't be it. So I, I guess we all want something better and we all deserve something better. And luckily, I honestly firmly believe that we can do better. So you've got a strong engineering background, you recognize the problem, and so you take it upon yourself to sort of solve this investment, you know, uh, optimization problem yourself. Where do you start? What's the next step when you decide that something has to change? So the, the really first thing that I started doing was just downloading some stock quotes and playing around with that. And I started in Excel and, uh, well, then it, it, the stuff grows and it, it, it grows in unexpected ways, basically like, like the weeds in your yard. And um, it, it becomes more and more work and you realize, oh, well, this is not maintainable. I, I need to do something else. So I started coding something. So I basically coded without even knowing what I was getting in, myself into. I started coding my first own backtesting engine. And that was written in Perl. I, I don't know. Honestly, in, in hindsight, I have no idea why I started writing this in Perl. I guess it's the worst language that you could choose for this. Um, um, but, but I did. And uh, I've came surprisingly far with it. And I started developing a, a breakout strategy that was working surprisingly well for, for a while between uh, 2011 and 2014. Honestly, um, it, it was beyond belief. And, um, but it, it was also fairly risky. And um, I, I learned that the hard way when basically in, on one day, I just wiped out about two years worth of earnings. And um that kind of triggered the next phase where I realized, okay, well, I need to think more about risk and I need to get better tools and uh, see where I can go from there. So I, I, don't, I don't want to, um, you know, you gloss over this point very nonchalantly, but um, you created or you wrote your own backtesting engine. Now, I have a degree in computer science and that to me sounds... Uh, like a tremendous project. I get tired when my backtesting software doesn't have an indicator that I want to use and I have to program, you know, some small snippet of code. So the undertaking there is, is pretty tremendous. But I guess before we even go down that rabbit hole, I would be curious, there were other backtesting engines on the market at this time. So what inspired you to sort of start from scratch on creating your own? Um, well, the, the first thing to, to see there is that I actually had all the time I, I could possibly want on my hands. So at that point in time, I was traveling a lot for business. So I spent about uh, something on the order of 15 to 20 weeks a year in China. And when, when you're out on the countryside where the factories are in China, there's honestly, there's not much to do at night. And so at some point you realize you can't get drunk at the bar every night and you, you have to do something else. So that's, that's basically the time that I used for coding. So I sat there in my hotel room uh, with, a, with a bag of uh, chips and, and a can of beer and, and was coding. And that, I guess, honestly, was, was something to keep me sane. And it has something 
tremendously therapeutic to to code a strategy and then see an equity curve and you have all these ideas in your mind oh my god if this is real um wh why am i here why do i need to work at all and um so that is very motivating i mean to, to start from the ground up and to engineer everything yourself and to know how it all works and to have a laboratory essentially to, to continue to develop these systems uh greatly satisfying i am i am sure um so let's go back to the comment you mentioned earlier about kind of the breakout strategies is, is where you started um they were working well you had the the blow up let's call it um what was next in terms of the trading approach where did you go after you experienced that sort of setback on the breakout system well, I guess what was missing for the most part was better tools to ultimately analyze uh, the performance of my trades. And just having an equity curve is, is really not a whole lot. So you, you, want, you want some metrics and you want your underwater charts and you just want to get a little better with that. And uh, also, uh, I started realizing that uh, the data source that I was using, I was using free data that I downloaded from Yahoo, that this, this was not a good data source for what I wanted to do. So I, I really need to step up the game. So this is when I bought my first uh, multi-charts license. And uh, multi-charts uh, was actually the tool that at least had a lot of the features that I was looking for. So um, it had reasonably nice reports. Uh, it is uh, reasonably good in handling portfolio strategies, which other tools like NinjaTrader don't do that well. And it had it had data sources built in, and I could subscribe to a service and get better data. So um, so that helped me a lot in, in making the next step there, basically. What was the strategies or what were the types of ideas you were working on at this point? Were they still momentum and kind of breakout based or did you transition a little bit? I, I transitioned actually and I, I started looking into pure momentum strategies. And um, well, all of them being um, portfolio strategies um, where basically I tried to rotate assets, mostly uh, individual stocks. And uh, I started spending a lot of time on uh, figuring out how to improve risk management and how actually uh, risk management ties into your uh, ranking of uh, assets to trade. So the next sort of fundamental piece so you're tying in now, the risk management survival in the game, um, you're advancing sort of the, the understanding of the systems that you're, that you're looking to use. Um, where are you still with multi-charts at this point or have you now kind of migrated off to something else? Being a software developer, you see, when, when there's something that the tool doesn't do for me, um, I, I can just write these uh, missing pieces. But what happened here was uh, that I was bolting on more and more stuff on top of multi-charts that at some point I've noticed I'm not using any of the multi-charts features except for the um, data sources anymore. I'm using my own reporting engine. I'm, I was experimenting with options at that point in time and wrote basically a simulator engine that sits on top of multi-charts. So I wasn't even using the simulator. All I was doing, I was um, bringing in the data via um, the, their framework and at that point i decided okay now now is really the time to ditch this all and start a new project for a new backtesting engine and this is what became the touringtrader.org project so it was really something that again on on a, on a sunny afternoon i decided okay now i'm going to do this and this was probably sometime in well it was actually summer i guess it was something sometime in july 2018 or so that i decided uh, this is what i wanted to do and it pretty much coincided with the time where I became a full-time trader. So I had no other side gigs anymore and did this full-time. And uh, it took me something on the order of uh, three months to get uh, the simulator engine to the point where all of the portfolios that I had and that I was actively trading were now running on the new platform. So now Turing Trader... Um, we're going to get into exactly what that is in just a moment, but was this now a... Was this the transitioning the old sort of pearl code that you were, you know, the, the old uh, chips and chips and beer construction from years earlier? Was this the transition of, of that application or did you sort of start fresh with Turing Trader? 
I did start completely fresh. And um, the reason for that is really, well, Perl is not a very well-structured language. And uh, one of the things, if, if you're familiar with Perl, that you will find it, that it's much easier to write Perl than to read the code, even if you've written it yourself six months later. Um, so honestly, a lot of Perl code is write-only. Never, ever try to read it and understand it later on. And so none of that code uh, survived, uh, not a single line, but uh, a lot of the ideas that I had then did and um, a lot of the stuff that I uh, used to expand multi-charts that actually made it into Turing Trader. So there is a lot of code in Turing Trader that is much older than the Turing Trader project that I basically carried over from uh, my multi-charts times. So Turing Trader is a open source backtesting engine that all of us can use. Traders can go on right now and download this entirely free and start playing around. What else, uh, that's the high level view, but how else would you describe it? And um, just talk to me a little bit about the project and kind of where it sits now, maybe why someone would even want to download it or use it. Well, I, I guess Turing Trader is very different from other simulators, and I, and it will continue to do so. I I, I think um, projects like this, of course, are never finished, so it, it might change direction, and I have some ideas where it might change direction to. Um, yes, you can go and download it and for free, and you you get all the source code if you want to, and. It is a professional level simulator. There's a lot of things that you can do with it uh, that are much harder to do on any other simulator engine. So there's, there's a few points that I'd like to um, mention here. For once, a Turing Trader can simulate option strategies. So there's actually not that many um, simulators out there that can do that. Um, another thing that is unique about it is uh, the way how it handles data. So there's... Um, a one-to-many um, relationship between what Turing Trader calls a data source and an instrument. So one data source can actually launch many, many instruments that you can trade. So basically like one ticker spawns uh, many, many options contracts that you can uh, trade. And um, there, there's features on the data side that I feel are very important. Uh, for example, there's a feature there where you can splice data. So when you want to run backtests, what you often find is that the instruments that you want to trade didn't exist uh, far enough back to actually create a test that is meaningful or it spends enough time to be really meaningful. And in Turing Trader, it's very, very easy to extend those data back uh, to an earlier time if you have a reasonable proxy that you can use. It's a great, uh, it's a great application for, and, and you can sort of tell it's it's been built by a trader first. Uh, so I've been using it for uh, a number of years now. For those familiar with the strategies that we run, uh, our latest system, Labyrinth, was built entirely in Turing Trader, um, and so some of the functionality that Felix describes there of getting data back. Um, you know, an extended period of time via splicing, via mutual funds or whatever it is, is just really nice and elegant. It solves a lot of the the uh, limitations of some of the other backtesting engines out there right now. So this has been an ongoing development uh, for you. Uh, I see, you know, you continually make updates to the repository over time. Um, but this becomes your central sort of uh, laboratory to develop trading systems. If we go back to the path that you were on in terms of, of the investment strategies, what did Turing Trader now allow you to, to sort of create and where did you where did the trading side of, of your sort of journey go after you, you know, kind of released Turing Trader in its more modern form? Well there's there's a few influences um, that, that a few books that I read that have truly influenced my style of trading and um, what I like to do. So um, one of my favorite books is Andreas Klenov's Stocks on the Move. And it is actually a book that uh, talks about an aggressive uh, momentum trading strategy that trades individual stocks. And um, th there's a lot of um, description of the reasoning behind and the strategy actually, for the most part, works. There's some uh, omissions in the book uh, where I feel that either um, it was 
left out intentionally or I, I'm not really sure what happened there. So there's there's some flaws in the risk management of that strategy, but there's enough reasoning in the book to help you understand what this is all about and to find these flaws. Uh, it's really not that hard. And once you once you sort out these flaws, the strategy actually performed surprisingly well. And um, and I, I continue playing around with it, actually. So the, the core is actually uh, fairly good. And th this is really just a momentum. The main thing that's different about it is uh, that it's using a, um, a concept of risk-adjusted momentum to rank the stocks that it's actually trading. And uh, it's using equal volatility um, position sizing. And um, <clears throat> what's important to understand here, and the, the book actually does a decent job in explaining that, that these two go hand in hand. This is not the ranking and uh, the position sizing have to go hand in hand because they depend on each other. There's no point in picking the stock with the highest momentum if uh, later on in the position sizing and uh, you decide, oh, I can only invest a few pennies on the dollar in that because it's so volatile. So you basically have to think about the efficiency of every dollar that you have in capital, and that is what this ranking does. So this is something that I, where I learned a lot from. Uh, and um, another book that I really liked is The Alpha Formula. And um, so um, Chris Kane and Larry Connors here describe basically how a portfolio of strategies um, reduces um, the overall volatility and improves risk-adjusted returns. And uh, this is a concept that I'm really bought into. This is something that I like to do with the strategies that we have on touringtrader.com. Uh, we call them all-stars portfolios, but hey, that's just a name. Um and uh, th this is actually something that is surprisingly hard to do with other backtesting engines. And one of the things that is actually uh, interesting about uh, the Turing Trader backtester is that you can use a strategy as an input to another strategy. So basically, you can you can stack them on top of each other and build more and more wild constructs where uh, one strategy serves as the data source for the next so that you can build pretty complex um, uh, hierarchies of strategies. And uh, so implementing the alpha formula with Turing Trader is actually easy, while it is probably hard work with any other engine. And, uh, well, then there's... Um, Scott Judds, um, who uh, and the Seven Faces of Risk. Uh, this is a book that really, really speaks to me because Scott Judds is actually an engineer, and uh, he approaches trading completely from the signal processing um, angle. So everything he talks about is about signal processing and improving signal to noise ratio, and that is actually all stuff that speaks to me as an engineer. And especially as an engineer with an audio and signal processing background. And while the book is not um, necessarily uh, suitable to, to get you to code and um, reproduce his results, there's a lot there to learn. And I've been actually able to, for the most part, I guess, reproduce his strategy. And it's performing very, very nicely. And it's another core that I will be continuing to use moving forward. Um, so, great read. I, I can recommend it. Um, language lacks a little bit, but the content actually is really good. And uh, then there's uh, Wouter Keller, who's a um, university professor um, and publishes a bunch of papers. All of these papers are fairly well written. And what's interesting here is really that every single paper focuses on a unique idea that you will not find anywhere else. So, he's trying to... Um, uh, introduce a canary universe to detect market crashes and he's uh, trying to um, use macroeconomic data to guide his trading decisions and a lot of these bits and pieces I have used in strategies um, that I'm developing on my own. Um, there's not a single strategy that I, that I want to point out that is performing particularly well but when you read these papers you learn a lot about um, different ideas and where they might take you. And it kind of inspires experimentation. So those are three books. So we've got um, a handful of resources there. We'll put the links in the in the show notes to this episode so you can check out those books. So 
those are some great, you know, inspiration starting points. I, I want to go back um, to one thing you said there. So um, this this concept, I think it's from the Alpha um, Formula book, um, which is the concept of, of a multi portfolio, uh, or I'm sorry, a multi strategy portfolio. Um, most traders, I think, have one trading system uh, or one strategy, and they. Uh, I know this is what I did for years. I tried to put all the bells and whistles and the filters and everything so it could handle just everything that we could throw at it. Um, I since have sort of scraped that and opted for more simple systems um, that are doing different things and combining the different systems together to one portfolio. What is, you know, what are some of the benefits there or like what are people kind of missing uh, or could could just think about uh, that, that are going down the path of just having one trading system to do everything? Well, what we all expect is um, that our backtests are predictive of the future. And uh, what we all hope when we design a strategy is that these mechanisms that we develop are able to handle future situations gracefully. And um, now, the, of course, we can go down the path and making our systems more and more complex in trying to deal with all these various situations. But as you can see, just by looking at 2020, um, th there is surprises and we might run into situations that we haven't seen before that ultimately lead to disappointing underperformance. And just in 2020, for example, when you look at most of the classic momentum strategies, they all got it right to exit uh, sometime between March and April. So pretty much all of them got that right. But what happens then is that most of them failed to get back into the market and they missed the rebound and ended up um, way below the benchmark. And this is something, for example, well, we haven't seen a rebound that fast in, in the last um, decades. And to assume that our strategies that we code up are actually able to deal with all these situations, well, maybe that's a little bit naive. And when we're switching to a meta strategy, we can hope that um, we do better because at least uh, we might have a fighting chance that not all of these systems fail at the same time. And that in itself might lead to a better result. And also when you look at it from the coding perspective, once you get a ton of indicators and different mechanisms in there, the, the code actually gets hard to maintain. It gets hard to understand. And you, you might have some... Uh, unexpected edge cases that are really hard to fix. And so basically what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm trying to focus on one idea that I have and I try to code that up as simple as I can. And often then I combine multiple ideas to, to a larger thing. So if you, uh, one of the recent things, for example, that I developed was a market uh, sentiment indicator. And uh, that uses five different sources of information, but I developed each of these five sources of information individually and try to make it as good as I could based on that single idea and then combine them in a voting mechanism. And the, the idea really is focus on one concept and not try to, to mix all that. And for me, at least, this has simplified development. This has rap, um, dramatically increased my productivity and honestly, the results look much better. Right. So it's a it's kind of a win win on on multiple levels. It's it's simpler code. You can understand really what it's doing. You eliminate those edge cases, and um, you know it's something where you're not striving to create one thing, one one bloated system that is going to try and um, crush the stock market. You are opting for a simpler approach. And combining these, stacking them together like Lego blocks, you're, you're combining those multiple systems. But like you say, and like you point out, that's a very important point in terms of March is lots of systems got out uh, March of 2020, coronavirus height epidemic, where the uh, market melts down, lots of systems get out, but how many of them got back in, right? That That's the big question. And, and having a, a, a diversified pool um, of approaches to the market is one way to sort of solve that. So um, I really like that concept. 
you've got a lot of different portfolios now on TuringTrader.com. Um, so talk to me a little bit about kind of the, the strategies. You, you mentioned a few of them already, but um, what kinds of strategies, what are the different characteristics? How many do you need um, you know, of these simple models to put together um, you know, in your view? Honestly, to, to have a good and successful trading strategy, you, you might be doing fine with just combining um, two or three ideas with each other. So what I'm trying to do is that I'm trying to combine strategies with each other that have a, a different uh, mechanism that, that makes them work, even though maybe the, the ultimate underlying uh, idea is similar. You see, most of the strategies are ultimately momentum-based one way or another, maybe. Um, but there's even if you look at momentum, there's different ways to look at this. You can try to rank them by uh, extracting um, momentum. You can try to find combinations by doing uh, mean variance optimization. And when you now have these two different ideas, they, they will lead in different ways of entering and exiting. And combining these two will most likely um, create much better results uh, than uh, each single piece would. And if you now have something like um, mean reversion that you can add to the mix, that's probably great. And uh, something that I played around with and that worked really, really well in 2020 was um, hedging with volatility. So either volatility targeting or even going long volatility at some point. And when you combine these multiple mechanisms, it really doesn't need more than three, um, then the results are generally much more docile in behavior, and I have much more confidence that these results will hold in the future. So let me be a little bit of a critic here on um, the the process of, of backtesting or, or investing or trading uh, in sort of the fashion that you're um, that you're pursuing today. Um, if I were a critic here, I would say that, well, the exercise of sort of backtesting in general um, is an exercise in data mining or, or, or curve fitting. And, and we sort of just wrangle, you know, wrangle the data to, you know, to eventually just get what we want to see in a backtest, right? So, so what is that true? What is your sort of uh, response to that type of critique or the, the doubt, uh, you know, the people that are perhaps doubting a fully sort of systematic or quantitative approach? Well, I guess we're all guilty of that approach, uh, including you. Um, but I, I firmly believe that the markets are not as efficient as um, people like them to be. So the, the theory that markets are completely efficient um, seems to be uh, just seriously flawed because there's so many things where you can run some analysis and see that over decades, markets are not efficient. You can see, for example, that in times of high volatility, the average returns are significantly lower. That's a clear inefficiency there. And, and you can prove that. And you can also show that um, there is a serial correlation between uh, yesterday's returns and tomorrow's returns. So there is an inefficiency there that proves that there's long periods of time where momentum is real. We can also show that uh, there's um, mean reversion effects uh, that are very real uh, that prove that the markets are not efficient. And all that we're trying to do is we're trying to exploit these little edges. Now, of course, that is data mining. And of course, um, there is the risk that we're overfitting our models. And uh, what I'm trying to do, we're trying to get better at, I'm using the optimizer less and less nowadays. I'm trying to use less and less parameters for the strategies. What I do, though, is that I work more with uh, walk-forward optimizations, where I'm basically looking at a short look-back windows and trying to continually adjust my parameters and have my strategies figure out the best uh, parameters themselves on the fly and while they go. And uh, at least so far, I'm fairly happy with the results, and this, this seems to work fairly well. Um, Will this hold uh, for for the future and forever? I don't know. I guess we we need a, 
adapt our strategies. No strategy that we are able to develop today uh, has the expectation and the promise that it will last forever and will be good forever. So um, at some point, I guess we will need to revisit what we're going to do with bonds, for example. How much longer can we use treasuries to to hedge? And uh, um, when rates ultimately start rising and uh, treasuries have a negative carry over longer terms, what, what else can we use? Are we then uh, using um, a mean reversion component? Are we then uh, using more volatility to trade? We will find out. We will continue developing. And honestly, I, I do this full time. And every day I'm trying new ideas and working on that. And you can see that on my site that uh, we're releasing new strategies and retiring older ones or if we're not retiring them while well, focusing on newer ones and uh, making progress there. And you, you, I guess you need to continuously sharpen your tools and uh, see what you can do. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. I mean, I think the, um, I mean, the big ones, like you say, to, to, to sort of, you know, um, you know, reduce the, uh, the potential for that overfit, uh, less parameters in the trading system, um, simpler systems, like you're going down walk forward and Monte Carlo simulations, right? These are all the techniques I think, um, that you sort of alluded to there, um, to, to remedy that, but obviously no approach to investing is perfect, right? We're not, you know, I don't think anyone here is trying to claim that this is, uh, the only way, uh, to sort of trade or, or, you know, you have to approach the market this way. Um, but I sort of want to um, kind of blend in here because we have a lot of listeners that I think are they're technical traders for sure. Uh, lots of traders trading off of either chart patterns, technical indicators, um, kind of the pseudoscience of you know not fully backtesting like you are, not creating you know a backtesting simulator from scratch. Um, but they're 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 aware of the data. They're aware of momentum and when to get in and when to get out what is what is the last sort of leap there though i mean the, the slight discretion and we all we all invest with discretion but um to the trader that like perhaps is trading off of charts doing this again in their head but maybe is interested in what you're doing how did how do they take that final leap or like what is the bridge there to 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 go to a fully kind of dark side quantitative approach I'm afraid that many traders ultimately don't really know how well they're performing. I honestly, I've met way too few traders that actually go go through the effort and trying to um, figure out what uh, their um, equity curve cleaned of withdrawals and deposits uh, really looks like, and. Because that's a lot of work to do that. And uh, we all have the tendency of uh, staring at a screen and uh, seeing the market go in a certain direction. And then we have the urge to say, oh, I, I want to take that swing. And um, But I firmly believe that it is just a bad move to do unless you can prove yourself that your senses are actually good. And so... Um, you need to prove yourself that your rules are actually good. And the the problem there is when you do this live with uh, while trading your own account, well, it will take you decades to figure out whether your senses are actually good enough to make the right decisions. And if they aren't, this is going to be very, very painful and very expensive for you. And what the quantitative side does for you is that at least it shows you within minutes you can have the experience that other people need to make in 50 years of trading. Within minutes you can see, okay, if I did this, then that happened. And you, I can figure out, does this make sense or not? And I, I, one other thing that honestly I've, I've learned to appreciate is to have strategies with rules that I can I can understand where I can say, yeah, at least in, in my worldview, this is the right thing to do. And here's why. Instead of just, uh, chasing some, some random, uh, re, um, uh, how should I put it? Some random correlation because ultimately correlation is not causation. And uh, it, it might be that something else might be the better target to chase. And, 
Well, and to get into that, well, ultimately, I guess you need to learn to code and learning to code is is fun and it is it is actually a great skill to have because there are so many problems that you can um, look at this way uh, and it's it doesn't need to be super hard you you can start small and um, and see where it takes you and if you look at uh, the Turing Trader open source project then that project comes. Um, with a source code for a bunch of strategies uh, that I've taken from books and publications. And what's great about that is you, you can have the book or the publication in one hand and the source code on your screen, and you can compare and see, hey, how did he do this? I, I see this rule here. Where do I find that in the code? And uh, reading somebody else's code and figuring out how the code corresponds to the rules, that honestly, I think is a great way to learn. And uh, for anybody interested in learning to code and learning to code these uh, types of uh, strategies, I honestly, I recommend looking at our showcase strategies and uh, seeing if they they can get started that way. Yeah, it's a it's a great point, and it's something I don't I don't think I've actually fully appreciated the way you the way you sort of stated that. But basically, you know, being able to put your strategy into code gives you, you know, fifty years of insights. In other words, if you're a technical trader that likes trading, you know, I don't know, moving average crossovers, you could simply put that into code and basically, you know, very quickly kind of see how that strategy performs years and years and years. Um, and just gives you that, you know, gives you either the confidence or maybe the the, the intuition that you may need to move on to a different system. Uh, the other thing that Felix pointed out there, um, just to reiterate, is that in TuringTrader.org, uh, if you download the repository, he has a bunch of pre-built uh, trading systems there um, or tactical asset allocation uh, models with the source code. Uh, available, so you can basically, you know, run the back test. You can see the rules to the system. Most of them are public, and then you can also see the code. So um, it is a great way to sort of get your feet wet um, and see how all of this works uh, from a coding perspective. It's sort of, you know, one of the things that, as you were talking, um, you touched on, which is interesting to me always, is do you need to know the return driver for the system, right? So you as a quant uh, systems trader, you know, in other words, if I say, Felix, you know, trade uh, the RSI with a 10-day look back, as soon as it goes over 80 and the MACD is in this position and, and it produces this, you know, beautiful equity curve, you use Monte Carlo's, you try and break it, you, you, you know, you go through all of your tests and it holds up. I mean, is that enough for you? Is is or do you need to understand the actual driver of this trading system that you're uh, deploying? I clearly don't trade a strategy where I don't personally buy into the the concept of it. I I believe that mean reversion is real. I believe that momentum is real. So maybe I'm um, not that hard to convince. Um, um, but if if people show me a strategy that has a, a, a weird mechanism there that I cannot grasp, where I do not believe that uh, this is a good idea to do, then uh, I won't trade it. For example, there's there's some uh, surprising strategies out there that use a canary universe to um, figure out whether to stay in or out of the market, and um, by I'm for I'm not fully sold on the idea. Just as an example here, that um, the performance of um, emerging markets is a good indicator for the U.S. stock market, and because I do not buy into that idea, I I don't care how great the back test might look like. I would not trade it. But and ultimately, trading is a matter of conviction. And if you want to run the strategy without second guessing it every day, you better believe in, in the mechanics of it. And it, it, is, it is hard. It, it requires discipline to put in a trade when, when you feel like the market is going down. Why am I buying this? And in order to stay on track and stay within the bounds of what your backtest showed you has worked in the past, well, you need to believe in it. If, if you don't, I, I don't know where you take the strength from um, to actually do something that you don't believe in and don't understand. What is it, uh, what is it that you need to see in a new model uh, to actually consider putting it live? So you're doing your research, 
you stumble upon something that looks pretty promising. I mean, is it, um, you know, it needs to generate 15% returns per year. Like, is there, a, is there a certain threshold? Is it a sharp ratio? Is there anything that specifically there's a few high-level boxes it needs to check? There absolutely are. So um, one thing that I really like is Monte Carlo simulations. So I really like to see uh, what the probability of reaching certain returns and uh, certain uh, maximum drawdowns are and how this curve looks like. And I'm... And, uh, for the and uh, well, the the Turin Trader project has some unique way of showing these Monte Carlo simulations, where you basically have a bell-shaped um, object that you can see that, um, and the more slanted uh, this bell is, the, the the more uncertain you are of the returns or the drawdowns. So you want to see that uh, these the risk profile is fairly flat and uh, the return profile is fairly tall, and they're both uh, mostly. Uh, mostly parallel. So this is certainly something that I look at. Another thing that I always look at is I, I always want to see how the strategy performs in relation to a benchmark. I, I never look at performance in isolation. I always want to see it um, charted against the benchmark. And one of the things that I especially like is to show rolling returns versus a benchmark and to show um, the tracking error, the, the tr basically the, the um, um, dividing one equity curve by the other and, and see where this goes. And what we want to see is that we're making continuously progress versus the benchmark. It doesn't matter that my strategy um, yields 20%. I want to see that year over year, it's actually beating the benchmark that I've chosen. And uh, so this is very important to me. Other people might feel differently. Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily a big fan of the sharp ratio. I, I prefer the, the modern ratio over that. As we sort of wind down here now, Felix, I'd be curious to know um, what does successful trading look like to you? So if I asked you, what, is, what does it mean to be a successful trader? What's, what, is, what is you doing your job successfully uh, present day? What does that mean to you? That is a big question. And honestly, I, I don't know what a simple answer to that is. Um, you see, I'm, I'm seeing the markets from multiple angles. I'm, I'm seeing it um, with my own money. So, uh, and well, um, I, I invest in my own strategies. So I really put my money where my mouth is. And well, ultimately, we, we all want to make money, but it is not about uh, the, the maximum amount. It really depends on what your objective is, uh, where you want to go. And um, f f as long as I beat my benchmark, I feel that uh, I made progress, but this benchmark doesn't necessarily need to be the S&P 500. Also, also, most people use the, the S&P 500, not the total return index, which is already off by 2% anyways. I feel that ultimately, you see, we're, we're jumping through all these hoops of, of trading and sitting in front of the computer every single day. And um, so the, the question is, did we improve anything by doing that? And so I guess the benchmark would be a passive portfolio that um, is has a risk level that you're willing to tolerate. And that might be 60-40, that might be something else, but something that you, from the risk perspective, feel comfortable with. And, well, if you can beat that without um, adding risk, then probably you've been successful. But that is not a percentage number. That is that is something that you can only judge in a relationship to to a benchmark. And well, then the other angle that I see is that um, uh, that I also have clients that are investing with me. And well, these people might get nervous occasionally and give you a call and say, "Felix, uh, this doesn't look good." And other times, honestly, I'm I'm getting emails like, "Oh, the, the algorithm really nailed it." And well. So the perception of what success is uh, might be very different. And um, 
ultimately, I, I guess it's important to zoom out a little bit and don't measure your success on a daily basis because th there are days where, where you're down and where you're down even more than your benchmark or even more than the S&P. And, uh, and that doesn't feel good. And it's important to say like, well, look, in, on average over the, the past six months, th this was working fairly nicely. And well, I can't expect that every day I'm beating uh, the market. And it we shouldn't get a heart attack today because we actually made this money before. And and so th this is very different when you look at your account every single day or you're looking at your client's accounts every single day versus them maybe looking at it once a month. That feels very different. Yeah, for sure. It's balancing that, that short-term, you know, anxiety um, and with, with the long-term sort of balance. Um and yeah, it's it, it's a curse. It's a great thing and a curse, I think, for 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 us that are staring at our accounts every day, that are either watching the systems unfold or placing the trades. You you get scored every day, and um, it's yeah, it's you can spot opportunities, you can understand the context behind it better, um, but you have to live with the uh, the emotional uh, uh, baggage sometimes when things are tough. Um, so. Is there anything uh, we, we may have skipped on today? Is there anything we didn't talk about? Anything you want to kind of circle back on now and just either recap or, or, or touch on that we may have missed in this conversation? One thing that uh, maybe uh, we, we can mention real quick is, well, the, the TouringTrader.org project is an open source project, so it is really free to use for anybody out there. I'm not holding back on any secret source that I use for myself or whatever. I, for anybody interested in this stuff, I encourage you to have a look at it. And uh, the, the reason why I open sourced this is really because I firmly believe in open source. I, I have benefited from so many people uh, that have written publications, that have shared code online and in other ways with me that I... I feel it is an obligation at some point to, to give back, and I, I happily do so. And being somebody who has spent most of his career in uh, selling intellectual property one way or another, I you will find that I don't steal software. You don't find pirated copies of software or data or whatever on my computer, and uh, and that I really believe in in sharing that. And I believe that there's ways to create good businesses, even though you're sharing part of your underlying technology. I love the, the message there. And um, for, for all you developers that are, um, you know, savvy in, in .NET C Sharp, um, then, you know, you can contribute to this, to this platform and, and make it even better. Uh, like Felix said, completely open source and, uh, you can start using it to build systems and to start just researching the market today. So that's it, folks. Uh, all the show notes and links from this episode can be found on the blog at thetraderisk.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode. Felix, thanks so much for joining me today. Evan, thank you so much for having me. That was fun. Thank you for listening to Smarter Trading. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. For all of the show notes, links, and callouts, head on over to thetraderisk.com forward slash podcast. Got questions or want to leave a comment? Visit this episode on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash thetraderisk to join the conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps the show get discovered by more people. Smarter Trading is hosted by me, Evan Medeiros, and produced by Ashton Alexander. You can share your feedback with us by emailing podcast at thetraderisk.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you in the next episode.